Wild West was a place that was void of God's law and every man did what was right in his own eyes. More than 95% of Americans lived in places with fewer than 2,500 inhabitants. By 1830, the distance of the prairie needed circuit riders to spread God's word. Some called them saddlebag preachers. These were a different kind of clergy, used to long, dusty roads and lonely, empty spaces. They rode from church to church on horseback. These days, many of those same places still have less than 2,500 folk. The men and women who are called there are still a different breed of clergy. The needs are different, but the call to reach men and women with the message of Christ is still the same. In the spirit of these circuit riders, we aim to meet a few of those specific needs. Welcome to the Circuit Rider Podcast. Here are your hosts. Hi, welcome to another Dirt Roads Circuit Riders Podcast. We are glad you joined us today. I am Michael Houle, and I'm with the two legends of rural America in the year 2021. <laughs> Uh, Steve McVeigh and Doug Rutledge. They love when I call them legends. I, they really are. Seriously, it's the only the only reason I actually do the podcast is because it's the only place where people say those things about me. Yeah, they recognize your true greatness, Doug. So, when, wow. but the truth is, when I want to name drop, these are the two guys I name drop. I, it gets me into restaurants in Lamont and Hillsdale, <laughs> and, and a couple county jails. <laughs> no, honestly, they. Do amazing work, and we are here once again. And as we've been on this journey of talking about uh, how to like really process the good work and the good news of the gospel through your community in a new age, in a new different, time, different times, in different times. We and don't want to go back to Egypt. No, we we're not going back to Egypt, like we said last time. Well, that's yep. what we talked about going back to Egypt. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, we were talking about like romanticizing things last time, you know, like what we thought about. What is the funniest thing you've ac actually ever heard, like from in a kid's ministry or for some of your kids? Like just a funny story. I'll, I'll start because I've been saving this story and I want to use it. I've been saving this for all season to give this story. Right. This, is this is a my smelly question. story. This is a very <laughs> smelly story, but it's great. So my, my daughter was in her first year of teaching kindergarten. Um, and, and kids say the darndest thing is really true. In the middle of a lesson teaching on markers and all the properties of markers, which I didn't even know was an actual lesson, by the way, how to use a marker. Have properly. you seen a marker improperly used? I mean, that's a big deal. I, I, I evidently. So she was teaching this, and she gets done with the lesson. Now these are all five-year-olds, nineteen of them, and she and she goes, "Is there any questions?" And one little girl raised her hands, serious look on her face, and goes, "Yeah, I just went to the bathroom, and I got poop all over my hands." <laughs> <laughs> and my my daughter gives a very calm look, being being even a first year teacher, knowing don't overreact. And she goes, "Well, did you wash your hands?" Which is a very important question. Good follow up. And the girl looked at her in all seriousness and goes, "I washed them so far thoroughly that I even smelt them afterwards." Her language, right. smelt them afterwards, and they smelled clean. Mm. And she goes, "That's good to know." And then my daughter processes in this realizes there's like 18 other kids listening to this whole story thinking, oh, I wonder if they're going to judge her, how they're going to react. And she looked at every child and the look on their face was this, been there, done that, man. So that's my uh, kid's story. What do you gentlemen have for a story? I work with teenagers. Oh, great. So good stuff happens all the time. Uh, some of it I cannot repeat. 
some of it happens in my third grade mind every time. <laughs> but I, so my favorite stories I will never publish. But privately, you can probably ask me, but I'll never do it here. Um, so we were doing our murder mystery uh, at Crossroads Farm, hundreds and hundreds of kids, and the numbers are overwhelming this barn. So we meet in a barn, and they ju- kids just spill out everywhere. We do screens outside. But uh, essentially, it's packed. It's jam-packed. And so I'm, I'm outside the barn, and I'm listening to uh, one of our students give a testimony. And I can't even really tell the full story. And I'm outside, and, and there are some kids outside, and they're disengaged. I mean, they can't see the stage. They can only see a screen. They're, like, you know, they're 23 rows away from the stage. And, and they just want to get going with the murder mystery. You know, eat donuts, run around, and solve this thing in the corn maze. And so they're, they're being a little noisy, not crazy, but a little noisy. And there's this guy who evidently is not from churches who yells at the group. So there are, you know, hundreds of kids outside the barn and this kid yells at them, shut the bleep up. I'm trying to listen to the guy. <laughs> and I thought, I love that kid. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. I love, but they, I mean, he, he screams the word and, you know, they're all like, whoa. But here's a guy who wants, he wants to hear the gospel so badly. He tells everybody to shut the bleep up. And I just, well, you don't fill that word in. Just assume he said bleep. Say bleep. Yep. Yeah. But uh, I, hey, he wanted the gospel. one of my favorite stories. Yeah. I love it. That is a great story. How about you, Steve? I've got nothing compared to you guys. <laughs> I will tell you one of my... So, so like, sometimes we have no idea how little kids are really perceiving everything. And so I really felt prompted to preach this story on this sermon on marriage. And um, it was a Sunday that all the kids were up in the, in the service. And I borrowed Andy Stanley because, you know, he is a good rural pastor to, to follow. His sermons just, you know. <laughs> but he talks, about, he talks about an Arnold Palmer, you know, like where yep. you take lemonade and iced tea, you put it together, and then you look at it, and he says, okay, a divorce is like, okay, separate that back out. You know, you can't do that. And so I had been talking about, you know, how divorce isn't God's plan, and and I mean, I took a, you know, I took a pretty strong stand and said, hey, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to say we're pro-marriage, we need to be pro-marriage. There's this little kid, he's nine years old. His his mom has just married a board member in our church. You know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, and he's a very thoughtful kid. And so on the way home from church that day, the, the guy calls me. He asked his dad, so did the pastor just say that it was wrong for you to marry my mom? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, he actually was listening. I was like, what? He was listening? You know, I mean, so I don't know that that's a funny story, but I think I'm the one that had to smell my hands after that. Wow. Yeah, well, I would, I would say this to that. The question becomes... And you never made that mistake in the next, the next the, church. The question becomes, was the parents listening enough to be able to answer the question in the first place? Right, right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, that, that did not go the direction you planned, Mike. But no. We were, we, were talking, we were talking last time about this idea of not being about survival, about actually being on mission and all that kind of stuff. And Mike... You, we asked you to lead this one uh, because what we want to talk about today is engaging community. And I just want to say before I throw this back to you, your church exemplifies what we're talking about today like no other church I've seen. 
So tell, introduce the subject to us today. Sure. What are we talking about today? Well, I really do appreciate that, that comment coming from you. It means a lot. But yeah, it, you know, I think we've been talking about, well, there's no magic bullet, but there are things you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean because of this. You should have probably been doing it before, in my opinion. Absolutely. But you should be doing it now for sure. If nothing else, it should push you this way even more. And the one is to engage your overall community. And I'm not talking your church community. I'm talking your town, your county, wherever you live in, you should be engaging the people around you. You know, there's this, this verse in the Bible that Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think he literally meant your neighbors. I think he meant the people around you. And so one of the things I want to push on, Pastor, is to think about differently in how you're engaging your community. There's, and if you don't know the needs of your community, you can go to places like the police chief, the um, fire chief, they have those around. Um, there's probably some mayor somewhere. <laughs> My town doesn't to. have a mayor. We all run the town ourselves. I can make a comment on that, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, so like last night, okay, we're, we're here. We are in, I can never say Chippewa, right? Because I'm not from here. Chippewa Falls. They don't really say the word right. But anyway, we're here. <laughs> um, we were recording podcasts yesterday. And as we're leaving, there's a line of cars, Mike, out in your parking lot. Yeah. And there's a team of volunteers, and you have this building that's a pantry, and they're out there like taking down how many people are in your ta- in your in your house, in your household. They're taking that back, they're putting together boxes of food, and you are putting boxes of food in people's cars. And and so what you've decided to do is you saw a need. You found a way to fill that need, and you, even in the middle of COVID, are serving your community. Can you tell me how, why, and how? I mean, how did you even know to do that? How did you, because it seems like to me that what we're saying is, is now is a time to serve your community like no other time. Absolutely. So we already had a food pantry before this, but it was different, okay? And actually, it was a really the Lord moment where we built up the new pantry, which is really, by the way, a double garage. I mean, you walk out there, so all it is is a double garage. And we built a double garage and put our pantry in it. And what we turned into is a drive through because we knew the reality of it. But here's the unique part about this, is we knew from talking to the schools, talking to county workers, talking to nurses, you talk to a county nurse in particular, I'm not talking about the vaccine or anything like that, I'm literally talking, talking to a county nurse about needs or a social worker yeah. and a teacher, or you talk to anybody, even locally downtown businesses that are pay attention to this, they will tell you what the needs of your town are. And they're like, you know, food insecurity was a big deal. And so we realized during the pandemic, especially during the first push when uh, food service industry got shut down, yeah. we realized the need was going to be high. So we found a way not just to provide food, but to be Jesus and bring kingdom value. So yeah. one of the things we do in our pantry, we don't push the gospel right in your face. We say, how can we pray for you? Yep. And we pray, and then we share Jesus through those practical actions. So if you're thinking, well, this is just a social justice thing, no, it's not. In fact, yeah. it's quite the opposite. And some of our volunteers don't even go to our church. Yeah. And that's another interesting twist of it. The reason I say that is you, you engage your community when you know their needs, when you know what's going on, you can invest in a way that brings it to a different level. And then, by the way, if, if you really want to see health in your church and you want to see people come to Christ and you want to see those moments, what we've discovered is they start connecting the dots. Correct. So yeah. I'm serving my community. I'm learning community, not worried about who's coming on a Sunday morning, like legitimately not worried about that. Right. But all of a sudden people are showing up. Now here's the interesting part. It's sometimes it's the people we serve. 
sometimes the people that have heard that we're serving people and or somebody just came and volunteered and said, I cannot believe a church is actually actually really doing this. Doing this. Mm-hmm. So you, you said you, I, I want to just, cause I want to write this down. Okay. Just so, right. just so you know, you're, you're saying talk to law enforcement. Yes. You're saying talk to a nurse, like, like maybe the County health nurse or a, or, hospital. Or a social worker at the yes. hospital. Yep. Go and talk to a teacher or a principal or a superintendent of Correct. schools. Yeah. Because see, sometimes what we do is we just go to demographic studies and what I'm convinced of is that the smaller your community is, the less helpful a demographic study really is. Look around, find a need, and and ask the Lord, how can we how can we serve and, and help in this way? So see, so, so we looked at the top three needs in our town, and we said, what are the one or two things we can do to help those top three needs? Can you tell us what those are? I'm sure, curious. Sure. So the top three needs: one was food insecurity, uh, second was addiction. Basically, we have a meth problem in our town. And the third one was at-risk families of children with no child care support after school. And so, and they all kind of relate together. I mean, you can see how they tie together if you really pay attention to it. And so we said, all right, well, we can't solve all those. But what if we could help, what if we look at this two ways, preventative and intervention ways? So our pantry is an intervention, right? We're going to provide food so kids can eat. That's an intervention. But then another way is how could we provide prevention? And prevention was... Now, how can we do to help children um, who need support? So one of the things we are trying to invest in is having a space for them to meet after school. Now, that's an extreme step, but we're not trying to solve all of it at once. And the big thing that I would say about this is we also didn't, are not doing this on our own. I think that's the key. Yeah, and that's what I was just thinking. I was sitting over here looking at Doug because Doug, you know, he runs a cooperative youth ministry where churches come together like like – not every church can really run a good youth ministry in a small place. And so you bring several churches together, Doug. I'm sitting here looking at, I'm listening to that list, addictions, Mm -hmm. food insecurity, aftercare. And I'm thinking I'm in a church of 20 to 30. I can't handle that, but the Christian community could. And so Doug, you guys do cooperative, right? And and, ministry. So is it time for us? to just let down our guard and say, maybe we should, maybe we're better together? Well, you know, listen, I don't know if, uh, if I talked about this, but yeah, churches need to start working together, especially if they're under-resourced, because we all have different resource pools. Um, one of the unique things, we run something called the RCI Rural Church Initiative, and that's a collection of pastors who are uniquely joined uh, because of the ministry, the youth ministry through Crossroads. And uh, there are probably 14, 15 churches in, in our South Central uh, network. There are another 12 in our Northwest um, network. And there are another, you know, five or six because we're just launching in Harrison County, Ohio. But as essentially, they're attentive to the needs of each of the churches too. And I'm going to tell you something that fascinating, fascinating happened is that one of the churches helped another church reduce their debt to zero. Mm-hmm. And that church turned around and helped another church reduce their debt. This is churches in a community saying the body of Christ is more important than my one thing. I do want to say this before I jump off that subject. Our churches have to be in communication and trust of one another. That's a big deal. If I'm going to resource with somebody, I have to trust them. And trust starts by realizing I'm not the perfect church, pastor, whatever. I do want to say this, that there's a danger to look at all the needs 
and to try and meet those. And uh, Dawn, my wife, continues to remind us the best thing we can do is, this is about doing the best thing we can do because of who God has made our ministry, our church, you know, to minister. Otherwise, we're going to be doing things we're not really good at. So, So, for example, we do the pantry. The other additional thing is one we're going to add because we have this, this space for it. But what I want to talk about is working together. So there's two stories that happened here in our community that I think we could help you, Pastor, understand how to do this. Uh, the first story was we do a big school supply drive. It costs myself no money. The only thing we do is host it here, and the other churches show up and volunteer with our volunteers. Why did that become? Well, we, we realized there was a lack of backpacks and school supplies in our county. Uh, the one agency that actually did anything shut its doors. And we, we as a community of pastors, said we we're going to do that. And that was a, that was a big deal. I want to relate to that story because I think it matters in the stat, sense that we found a need together. We don't have to do it ourselves. We don't even finance it ourselves. And, yeah. and that involves, by the way, like 10 local churches in the county. Yeah. The other thing that came out of it was a, we had an accident here of Girl Scouts that got hit a few years ago. And unfortunately, crisis sometimes leads to this. This is why I think right now really matters. Right. We are in a crisis, right? We're in a big crisis. And the pastors, I just received an email, that's why I want to talk about this, um, started a group called Love Chippewa for our county and our area. And they just met this morning, and we are doing a, a free clinic as a group together. We're bringing in doctors and, and dentists. If you don't realize in rural America, dentistry is like a big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, and, we're, and I'm like literally not good at any of that. <laughs> we, have, we have like three pastors that are like outstanding in those areas. You know what I mean? Yep. And we're not worried about funding because when you get eight, nine pastors together, and I'll be honest, looking at the list there, theologically, we're kind of all over the map, but we made an agreement with each other, even the struggle through COVID, because we all did it different pastors. You're saying, well, this person wore masks, this person didn't, or this person said this. We had to lay down those issues in the mm-hmm. middle of this to say, we're going to do this instead. Right. And I think that is the hardest thing in a rural town, because when you are in a church, you have that challenge. Yeah. So I think you got, it starts with finding the one or two pastors that are saying, you know what? I care about my community well beyond anything else and yeah. start with that premise. So really two points that, that would really be helpful here. After I identify what the needs of my community are, I can do what Doug talked about and say, okay, what are we the best at? And, and is there something our church can do? And if the need is bigger than our church can do, we need to reach out it with those. And, and you have to decide what your lines are. I right. would suggest right. Jesus rose from the dead and the Bible is real mm-hmm. would, and, and authoritative would be like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to partner with someone who's a sure. cult or someone who doesn't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus and biblical authority. Exactly. And unfortunately, there are Christian, quote unquote, Christian organizations and churches that don't believe that stuff. But what this does is, is we have, we talked about it in the last podcast, we, a rural mentality can sometimes be survival. I just right. want to survive. Right. This, your congregation needs a rallying cry where you can see that you're making a difference. Can I, can I speak into that? I, uh, so I believe that we as pastors have been looking behind us saying, oh, it used to be so much better instead of looking forward and saying, God is using this as a catalyst 
for revival. And one of the byproducts, one of the byproducts of revival has always been social change. Yeah, it's been absolutely. it's been massive social change. The YMCA birthed, which is no longer technically a Christian organization, but birthed out of uh, uh, you know out of a revival. Uh, Christian universities birthed out of revivals. Church movements birthed out of revival. Conversely, so were cults. I, I wanted to. I mean, really, there's <laughs> going to be opposition. I, yeah. I, coming back to Matthew 25. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when when did we see you stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. I come back to revival waits for the the passion of believers to, to love. Absolutely. And churches grew during the Depression. Oh, yeah. Ministries were launched during those. T- this is a what time. What else going to do? And here's, I just want to say this. I believe this because like at Lamont, we've started during COVID a jail ministry. Mm-hmm. We are trying to support getting a house uh, for drug addicts, for, you know, and powerhouse, all of those types of things. We are trying to do these things. And what I am convinced of and what I am seeing is that any church that is willing to discern what the Holy Spirit is asking them to do in terms of ministering to their community, resources show up. And see, then that gives us lifeblood. We're trying to survive. God is, why would God bless you if you're hunkered down and don't want to do anything? So we gave out out literally a literal ton of food every week, a literal ton of food every week Mm. in our community. And we don't pay a dime out of our church budget. And I'm a small church. Gentlemen, I'm in a rural community in a small church. And ladies, by the way. Um, I'm you do you, have a coffee house nearby, which, you know, I know whenever we talk city. rural, I'm, I know we're at the end of this, but yeah, it's, there's different kinds <laughs> of rural. I know we cheated a little at the coffee house. No, but, the re- but the reason I say this is, <laughs> there is there is much the Lord is willing to do when it comes to the, his children. Mm. And and I think he, he loves... He loves the lost as much as we should love the lost and the broken and the needy. And when you do that and you kind of knock those barriers down and you have that focus, in my opinion, my challenge to you is do something. Absolutely. The Lord's giving you something. Just do something with it. You'd be surprised. Could we in the next podcast, could we talk a little bit more about what it means to cooperate with other churches? I think that'd be a great idea. We we sure could. Uh, You know, I can uh, say this. We start somewhere, right? Yeah. And don't wait for perfection. Don't wait for oh everybody goodness. to jump in. Amen. Angela Duckworth said this. This is such a great quote. She said uh, that we we like our uh, we like our excellence prefabricated. <laughs> <laughs> that is really unfortunately Ooh, true. That's probably a, you know if a little bit of worth a twist doing. On it's it, worth right? doing poorly until you get it right. right. Correct. And I just think as you think about this podcast today, and as you are just processing things. Take some time just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what are my needs? And then go find someone to ask and see what it is. You might be surprised what God can do. Well, we're glad you could join us today. We're really glad you're thinking about your community. And we're really glad that you are serving Jesus in rural America. We want to shout out to Leanne, our producer, and Carl, our narrator. Without them, we would sound way worse than we do. So we thank you for them. Um, we thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a great day and we'll see you down the trail. Take care, everybody.
the Circuit Riders would like to thank our partners for their interest in assisting rural leaders. Rich Roast Custom Coffee, supporting rural missionaries with a wide variety of delicious worldwide coffees. Our friends at ThinkOrange.com, wanting to join your team to help you create a better experience this week for kids and teenagers. Katrina at CrossroadsFarm.org. Vineyard Small Town USA. Vineyard Small Town USA, equipping churches to plant in small towns across America. Disciples of Jesus, making disciples. MultiplyVineyard.org slash USA. Crossroads Farm, working alongside of rural remote churches to provide an outsourced cooperative youth ministry that really works. CRF, loving the rural team. www.crossroadsfarm.org Dirt Roads Network, transforming rural America by planting and revitalizing life-giving churches in small towns and communities. www.dirtroadsnetwork.com For more information about the Circuit Riders or any of these partners, check out our Facebook page or contact them on each of their websites. On behalf of the Riders, I'm Carl Miller saying, until the next Circuit Riders podcast next week, happy trails.